Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reconsider. We have a really great show for you today. We had Enrique Fonseca from Visual Politique, the YouTube channel, who has been on our show before and talked about Podemos. And we had such a good conversation that it went a little longer than we usually have our episodes. So we ended up breaking this up into two parts. So it will stop somewhere in the middle. Just know that the next episode will pick right back up where we left off. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Reconsider, where we don't do the thinking for you. Today, we have an exciting guest. Coming back to our show, Fonseca from Visual Politique. He joined us late last year to discuss Podemos, the Spanish political party, and some of the theories for why they rose and how they apply to U.S. politics. And today, we're going to be discussing about some of the nationalist movements in Europe, especially in Catalonia. So, Fonseca, welcome to Reconsider. Happy to be to be back in my favorite political podcast. Aw, that's high praise coming from you, man. Well, it's the best political podcast made by the best political host you can ever find in America. <laughs> Please keep keep going. Please tell us about how awesome we are. Yeah. <laughs> you are pretty awesome. You know, I love you guys. I'm a big fan. Never miss it. Fonseca is one of our favorite uh, folks on the internet with politics as well. So his show, Visual Politique, uh, with a K at the end, is a great YouTube resource. He has these short videos uh, in English now, which is an update since a year ago when we last uh, talked with him. Um, they're great snippets that really help you stay informed about what's going on in different parts of the world. He's got great music, great pace. Um, it's funny. It's a lot of fun. And great vocals. There's, there is an awesome guy, a couple of awesome guys <laughs> do the voiceover in English, and they do it great. Yeah, you should, uh, we should find out who those people are and thank them. Yeah. So if you guys haven't gone to YouTube and checked out Visual Politik, do it right now. If you speak Spanish, the original channel is in Spanish. The ch there's now a channel in English. The content is great. 10 to 15 minute long videos, little snippets of just they're, they're really fantastic and comprehensive summaries of much of what you need to know about lots of topics that you've never considered before. So check out Visual Politik. And we've 
brought back Fonseca, our expert on Spain and Europe, to talk again about Europe. We've already talked Brexit. We've talked about the rise of anti-immigrant sentiment in Europe uh, in response to the refugee crisis. And now we're going to talk about independence movements. We're seeing a very different Europe from what we remember in the 1990s and early 2000s. And Fonseca is going to help us understand why. And so we're going to start with the biggest ticket uh, news item in Europe's independence movement right now, Catalonia. And the big question to start with, Fonseca, is why Catalonia? Why are they seeking independence? And why now? Well, the first thing I, I would like to clarify is that Catalonian independentism has absolutely nothing to do with Brexit. There is no anti-immigrant feeling whatsoever. And it's not a right-wing kind of thing, if you want to put it that way. It's actually, even though some of the independentist uh, politicians in Catalonia, they are right-wing, they are center-right-wing, more or less, and they are heavily supported by really liberal and even extreme liberal politicians. So it's not like... Uh, it, it has absolutely nothing to do with the Brexit thing or the northern Italian independentist movements that you see, uh, you've seen in the past. This said, uh, the, in the, the Catalan independentism, it's been always there. It's been like an ongoing thing for decades since Spanish democracy came up in the, in the 70s. And now it has become more important and more powerful for mainly two reasons. The first one is that Spain, after the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, uh, it, it really hit the country uh, extremely hard. So while America is already recovering and the rest of Europe is already recovering from the crisis and you can even say that they are growing, the Spanish economy is still suffering a, an existential crisis. Uh, when I was a child, I used to feel like I was living in a first world country. And I remember all the politicians were comparing Spain with Germany, with France. We were feeling like we were getting there. We were getting at the same league as the other European powerhouses. Now, not anymore. With the financial crisis, all the Spaniards will realize that, okay, we're not a poor country. This is not a third world country, but it's not exactly a first world country anymore. You, you understand what I mean? Yeah, entirely. It is a... It is a developed country that has dealt with enough economic issues where people who had become accustomed to a certain standard of living are not finding it anymore. Yep, that's that's the thing. For a better understanding, one out of two Spaniards, uh, one out of two young Spaniards, have no job. Most of my friends have been years struggling to get a first job, and the salaries are also extremely low for for the younger generation. In 2012, we were virtually uh, being bailouted by by European Union. So that creates a feeling that it's not cool to be part of Spain anymore. And that's why all these nationalist movements that they were breathing uh, before the financial crisis now now became more powerful because now a lot of people that probably in the past might be a little bit more hesitating uh, whether if 
it's a good idea to be part of Spain or not. Now they have clarified their ideas and now they say, no, we don't want to be part of Spain anymore. This is the first thing. The second thing is that precisely because of this financial crisis in Spain, a lot of regions uh, found themselves on the middle of a debt crisis. So they couldn't repay their debts and they had to be bailouted by the Spanish government, government that at the same time was being bailouted by the European government. One of those regions was Catalonia, because Catalonia, even though it's one of the industrial powerhouses in Spain and one of the wealthiest regions in the in the country, they have an enormous debt. And this is why in 2012, the Catalonian president, back then he was called Artur Mas, well, the Catalonian governor, we should, I, I, I guess... We should call it a governor for the American audience so they can more or less uh, understand that Catalonia is like, in a way, we could compare it to, to a state in the United States of America. So we have a governor, they have a governor, they have a legislative uh, body and with some powers, uh, they have some taxes, their special legislation, etc. So... The Catalonian governor, Artur Mas, he went to meet the, the Spanish prime minister, Mariano Rajoy, and he wanted to have a special tax plan so he could deal with the debt crisis better and then again keep part of his autonomy. And Mariano Rajoy, he said, absolutely not. I'm not giving you any special fiscal treatment. So then Artur Mas came back to Catalonia and he said, well, since you don't give me the special treatment I need, I'm going to break up with the country. So do you think that the the independence well I don't want to say the independence movement the referendum the referendum is is primarily tied to a combination of the economic crisis and the inability of um Artur Mas to get some sort of special treatment because the question that always comes to my mind when there's an independence movement like this that actually you know something new develops is why now I mean like you said this independence movement is not new but the fact that the referendum occurred and it has had, you know, far-reaching enough consequences for Madrid to come down and, like, you know, start cracking skulls. Something changed. Yeah, you can say the financial crisis was, like, the catalyst for a lot of problems inside of the country. With the economy, we realized that we had a lot of debt, that we had a lot of deficit, that we had a lot of corruption. And this is also very important because one of the most corrupted regions in the country is Catalonia. And some people might argue that part of the reasons that led the Catalonian politicians to seek the independency was to create like a, can I say smoke curtain? Smoke, smoke screen. Smoke, smoke screen. screen. Smoke screen to, to hide all these uh, corruption scandals that they were mm, suffering back in the, in the moment. For instance, Arthur Mas, the, the first uh, Catalonian government, in openly saying that he wants to be independent, now he cannot run for elections anymore because he's uh, being judged by lots of corruption and scandals. So that's another another big factor that uh, that plays an important an important role on this gay Catalonian independentism. So the Catalonian referendum was very popular. It got uh, it got something like ninety three percent support. Now the turnout wasn't super high. It was in the mid forties, which is kind of like a presidential election. But it did look like the people who voted seemed to be in favor of it. There are some questions 
about you know the the accuracy of the polling due to a lot of irregularities and Madrid trying to stop a lot of the voting. But assuming that, well, the first question is, did it seem like the Catalonians really supported it? And if so, what makes them what makes them really believe that they're better off on their own? What makes them believe that they'll be more successful without Madrid? As I said before, Catalonia is still one of the wealthiest and most prosperous regions in the country. If you go to any supermarket in Spain, you're going to see that the frozen pizza, the ice creams, and most of the products that you can buy are made in Catalonia. They have most of the companies, most of the industry, and they feel that they are sponsoring the poorest regions in the south, especially Andalusia and Extremadura. If you go to one of the southern cities like uh, Granada or Marbella, which are pretty famous for tourists, so probably some of our listeners have been in those cities on, on vacation, you will see that the unemployment is way higher there. The education is way lower. The In the PISA report, all these regions, all these southern regions, they, they, they rank way lower than the northern regions. And this is why the Catalonians, they are a little bit frustrated because they feel that all their tax money is going to pay all the inefficiency in the, in the southern regions. And this is why they think that if they were... Uh, by themselves, they would be better off. I want to do just a quick recap for American listeners who might not be as familiar with this referendum and what happened. So I'm just going to give like a 30 second rundown. As Fonseca has been talking about, Catalonians have a number of reasons why they want to be, if not independent, then at least more autonomous than they already are. Catalonia is the region in the northeast of Spain. It sits on the Mediterranean. It's where Barcelona is. If you've ever heard of Barcelona, that's where Catalonia is. They had a referendum in October of 2017. I think it was October 1st. And the central government of Spain from Madrid said, you know, this is not going to be a binding referendum. Catalonian leaders said, yes, actually it is. It happened. Eric mentioned some of the stats, 93% in favor of independence, although low turnout. And in the run up to the referendum and afterwards as well, the Madrid government used violence I mean, not extreme violence, but definitely violence to try to suppress some of the uh, protests, took a lot of election materials from the voting booths. So it's it's been more of an escalation of Madrid against one of the regions than we've seen in a long time. Um, it It is not the only independence movement in Spain. We had um, in the Basque Country, which is another region in the north, had ETA, which is an acronym for something I don't remember right now, but it was a terrorist organization in the 70s. It means Euskadi Ta Astatuta, which in Basque means something like uh, the Basque country should be free or something like this. I don't speak Basque. but Got it. And um, maybe before we dig into like some of the the context, the historical context for, for how Spain got to where it is, which kind of sets the stage for a lot of what's going on. Uh, Fonseca, maybe, maybe if you have you know some insight on this, you, you can tell us why you think the Basque country did become violent in the 70s. And right now we're not really seeing you know any sort of overt terrorism on the part of the Catalonians in order to achieve independence. Why is that? Well, actually, the Catalonians, they used to have a terrorist organization in the 80s, but it was way worse organized than ETA. So the Catalonian terrorist band, it was called Terra y Jure, which means in Catalonian free land or free soil. But uh, they were way worse organized, as I said. So the police really 
capture them and they stop the the violent movement almost in a couple of years so perhaps one of the region perhaps one of the reasons why the basque nationalism was more violent it's because eta was better organized they had the support also of a lot of uh, communist organizations all over europe so it's more a organization thing than a political thing probably there are some probably there are some cultural things because also we have to don't forget that the catalonian nationalism despite what it looks have nothing has nothing to do with the basque nationalism the basque nationalists they do have another project for for a totally different country way more decentralized while the catalonian nationalists they are not necessarily for decentralization probably a catalonian new country a brand new catalonian state would have a barcelona as the capital and it would be absolutely centralized put everything in inside of catalonia you can see it if you go to catalonia if you go to yeah to to, to, to catalonia you would see that all the factories all the government office all the administrative buildings are in barcelona the rest of the catalonian cities are virtually empty while in the basque country is the other way around the basque country is absolutely homogeneous you go with the car and you will see factories all over the place there is no specific capital where everything is concentrated hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. That's really fascinating. So we're seeing some very different approaches to what independence would look like between Catalonia and the Basque country. One of the things I'm curious about is, you know, Catalonia decided now was the time to shoot for independence and have a referendum. And as far as I can tell, Basque country seems pretty quiet by comparison. So why isn't Basque country trying to become independent right now the same way Catalonia is? Well, first of all, because they try it in 19 no in 2008 if i no 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 in 2006 they they tried and it didn't work out so actually the basque nationalist party that used to be in power forever it was like a, the a, a one the basque country was like a one party system uh, it was like the Republicans in Texas. Well, so the Basque nationalists were always in power in the Basque country. And they lost the, the elections for the first time after the failure of their independency, independentist movement. 
So they tried and they saw it failed and they said, okay, never again. We, we Let's keep things as they are. We are cool the way we are. Uh, besides, the Basque Country has already a special fiscal treatment with the central government, which makes them happier than the Catalonians. So the Basques were able to win a lot of the autonomy that they were looking for without becoming directly independent? No, actually, they had it before. The, yeah, Basque, okay. the, the, the Basque Country has been always special instead of Spain. You see, all the Spanish regions, all the Spanish states, if you want to put it that way, whenever they are paying the taxes, they pay the taxes to the central government, to Madrid. And then Madrid shares all that money uh, the way they want. They say, okay, this percentage is going to go to Andalusia. This other percentage is going to go to Catalonia, to, the Basque, to, to Galicia, to all the different regions, except by the Basque Country and Navarra, which are two specific regions. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, do you remember... They're, um, they're running the bull when Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway was going to Spain and he was running in front of the bulls. Well, so that was in Navarra, which is close to, to the Basque Country. Those two regions, they have a special fiscal treatment. They don't pay the taxes to Madrid. They collect the taxes, uh, I mean, they don't, they collect the, ta- the taxes by themselves and then they give a special, um, and a specific share of that money to the central government. So that makes a huge difference because they can they they have way way more power to to manage their their own money. But Catalonia does not have that. Catalonia does not have that. Got That's it. actually what the the Catalonian governor Artur Mas what he wanted to 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 get with the central government and they didn't want to give it to him. Right, because Catalonia is so rich, and it provides it probably provides a whole lot of taxes to Madrid. So it'd be a huge problem for the Madrid government, which is already you know in dire fiscal straits, to lose some of that tax revenue. Is that right? Yeah, it's part of that is the economy. Part of that is the emotions. According to the central government, losing Catalonia or uh, accepting more autonomy for Catalonia, for Catalonia would be a total failure, especially given that the current government, the current Spanish government, is conservative. It's from the, it belongs to the PP, which is, in a way, like the Republicans, but in Spain. Way more different, because Spain has a totally different uh, ideologies, but just to make a comparison, they would be like the Republicans. And part of their creed is that Spain has to be a, a unified country and they are more in favor of centralized mm. things and and give more power to, to the capital, to Madrid. So it will be a total failure for them and their voters. Right. And, and that's another difference between them and the Republicans because often the Republicans want more power to the states in the United States. They tend to say stuff like states' rights and want to reduce the power of Washington, D.C. And uh, it's the Democrats that tend to be more in favor of, well, you say that, and then, of course, it changes. In the United States, of course, it changes based on who's in charge, right? So when your party's, turns out when your party's in charge in the United States, you tend to be more excited about uh, Washington, D.C., having more power to do stuff. And when you're out of power, you become more of a state's rights person. So it goes, I guess it goes back and forth 
more in the United States. Yeah, but in, in general, yeah, I would say that it's actually the opposite of the United States. In Spain, for, I mean, in the political mindset of us, of Spaniard, centralization and more power to the capital, it's kind of a right-wing idea. Even the a right-wing radical in Spain would say, F*** the autonomies, F*** the regions, only Madrid, and let's go for a 100% centralized system as they used to have in France, for instance. That's what a right-wing fanatic would say in Spain. And the left-wing fanatics, they are more in favor of a more federal federal system and give more power to the regions. Which is even distinct from some of the other right-wing parties in the rest of Europe that are calling for a decentralization, at least of the le- at the level of the EU versus na- versus uh, nationalities, nations. Yeah, the thing is, in Spain, there is no Euro skepticism whatsoever. Even the far right wing is pro Europe, pro European. I think one of the other major differences between Spain and the United States that we should clarify for American listeners is how sort of Spain's regions came to be part of Spain. And one of the things you mentioned, Fonseca, was that you can think of Catalonia as a state, you know, like Texas or something. And I think there's a key difference in the history of, you know, how Spain was populated and and organized that makes it clear how identity plays a big part into this. Because you talk about the Catalonians. And we have, you know, we have a small number of secessionists in different states in the United States, Texas, California, um, but it's pretty rare. And so the idea of the Catalonian people or the Basque people is not as familiar to the United States because we just have Americans that happen to live in certain states and they have different cultures. But there's a there's there's something special about Spanish history that we don't share. And so what I want to do is like do a quick rundown from my understanding as an American and then let you sort of correct me where it's wrong or expand where it makes sense. And so, you know, the United States, of course, the, the current vast majority of the population um, immigrated here, you know, during and after the colonial times. And so it's a lot of Europeans primarily who came to the United States because they wanted to be here for one reason or another. Um, it's somewhat ethnically mixed up. There's a lot of you know people of Anglo descent, of German descent, and of many other European regions. And then, of course, there's a lot of Asians, Africans, um, South Americans, etc. But um, you know, this all happened in the past few hundred years, whereas, of course, Spain, the, the vast majority of the population that lives in Spain, um, the those groups lived there for a long time, right? So, you know, long, long ago, there were a bunch of different tribes. Um, and this is like a lot of places in Europe. And these tribes were running around before other powers showed up to create, you know, any sort of united um, united governing there. And so, you know, even before the Romans, um, the Greeks and the Carthaginians were the first ones to settle Spain from the outside, um, and they set up, you know, a huge uh, presence on the southern coast inside the Mediterranean, which extends all the way up to Catalonia for certain, um, in part because of all the silver there. And then the Romans went and booted them out and took it. Um, you know, then for a few hundred years, Spain was uh, the, you know, Spain was a region as part of the Roman government. 
and then Rome fell and the Visigoths got kicked out of France um, or Gaul by the Franks. They took over and established the kingdom of Toledo over much of Spain, but not all of it. Um, but you still had a lot of different tribes in that area. You had Franks, Burgundians, Sueves, Alans, Vandals, um, and of course, these Basque people. The Visigoths fell, and then the Moors, who were uh, came in from Africa, they were part of the Caliphate. They came over and took over most of the peninsula. And for eight centuries, um, the the Catholic monarchs who were kind of confined to the north waged the Reconquista um, and reunited Spain or, or really kind of united it as a full country for the first time in the 1400s. Um, and so over that whole period, uh, many of Spain's regions have been very different. Um, there wasn't, you know, it, it de- they developed before there was the kind of infrastructure that the United States developed with, with railroads and telegraphs and stuff like that. Um, a lot of mountains in Spain, and you can see a map on the notes, separate different regions. Um, and so Catalonia, for example, is in its own basin. The Basque country is in its own basin, separated by plateaus from Madrid. Um, and so you actually had a lot of different languages due to this historical development. So Catalonians speak Catalan, which is different from Spanish, but it's a Romance language. The Basque country people speak an entirely different language. Um, It's one of those, uh, it's a non-Indo-European language, and it might be kind of related to Hungarian and Finnish. Um, And Galicia in the Northwest is also separated by a mountain range. So it's very separated from Madrid. Yeah, but uh, let me clarify one thing. When you say that Catalonia has been always there as a specific region with a specific language and a specific culture, I'm not that sure. In fact, it was the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Aragon. Like uh, Spain, prior to 19, uh, 1492, when they discovered America and they finished the Reconquista, as you as explained it uh, so good, Spain was divided in different kingdoms, mainly Castilla, Navarra, the kingdom of um, Granada, which was the, the, the Muslim kingdom, and the kingdom of Aragon. And Aragon was, uh, was com- um, formed by Catalo- uh, what is now Catalonia and other regions that were next to it. So, in fact, Catalonia was the poorest part of the kingdom. And the le- le- less important, the least important part. Of course, they speak uh, they speak uh, Catalonian. They mm, well, they speak uh, usually the people in Catalonia. They are bilingual. They speak perfect Spanish and perfect Catalonian. But the Catalonian is not that. How to say, Spanish and Catalonian? They were born at the same time because they both come from Latin. So. Probably these Catholic kingdoms, they would speak Latin on their official communications. And then the peasants, they spoke Castellano, the, the, the normal Spanish, what we call now Spanish, in the regions of Castilla. They would spoke Castellano, but the peasants, and in Aragon and Catalonia, they would speak uh, Catalonian. It was the, the language of the peasants. And so the, the people of these regions have these different languages and would you would you agree that for a long time they've had a sort of different identity like they see themselves as spanish but they see 
themselves also as as like fundamentally as a people somewhat different from the Spaniards who live in Madrid? Yes, I think they... I mean, it depends because identity is pretty relative. You can feel perhaps some people from Texas, they feel like they are totally different from someone from California and others will not. So, but yes, in general, I would say that the... Catalonians, they are more, I don't know, they have a different feeling. I don't know how to explain it. But you will have the same with uh, people from the South. Or I mean, every region has its own identity and its own cultural things. It's true. Yeah, I, I say is, you know, I say that this is different from the United States, but we did have our own war internally in the 1800s where the South tried to break away entirely and a lot of people died for it. So maybe it's not so different. Mm, well, yeah, probably it's not so different. No, but the thing is, when we had wars in Spain, it was for ideological reasons more than regionalism. Regionalism played a role, but it was different. No, I, 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 I wouldn't go that way. So you think regionalism hasn't been a big part of, you know, when Spain was united in the 1400s, you think regionalism has not been a really big part of Spain's politics for the past 500 some odd years? It's been an important thing, but not as important as to start a war with. Like, for instance, right, right, when you course. have a, a part of the nationalist creed is that they they say that the Catalan nationalism traced back from the 18th century. Well, in fact, there was a war, a secession war, between the supporters of the Habsburg monarchy and the supporters of the Bourbon monarchy, the, the royal house that we have now. And the Catalans were on the side of the Habsburg. So they were on the side of the, the ones who who lost the war. But it was not a regionalist war. It was more an ideological or a royal house war where some people were supporting one king, other people were supporting the other. But both of the sides were part of Spain and they just wanted to, to make the whole country follow their their king and their ideas. Habsburg monarchy were more into decentralization and the, um, the Bourbon monarchy, the Bourbon monarchs were more into a centralized government. But it's more of an ideological thing rather than a regional, uh, regionalist. Even though regionalists can play a role, of course, because if you consider that your regional identity is stronger than your national identity, of course, you're going to be more in favor of a decentralized government. But this is the first time Catalonia is considered seriously breaking away from Spain entirely. And it's not the first time that they do it. They tried to do it in the Second Republic in the 30s. But most of the, I mean, I could say that Catalonian nationalism, the way we know it today, it traces back to the beginning of the 20th century. Just like the Basque nationalism. All this uh, regional nationalism uh, were born in the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. And that's not too surprising because 
If we think of, for example, uh, Wilsonianism and self-determination as an idea, right? That became Wilson, President Wilson popularized that in Europe after the First World War, although of course it didn't really take hold uh, as much as nearly as much as he wanted. Um, but that idea of self-determination of a people being able to govern themselves rather than be governed by this much bigger, you know, maybe imperial or, or larger authority, you know, became popular in the 1800s and 1900s in Europe, you know, is essentially the rise of nationalism. Could be. It's also, I mean, probably it plays a role because, of course, America is always a, an inspirational powerhouse also, and it creates political ideas that then they are mirrored in other countries. But it also has a lot to do with the political divide between conservatives and liberals in the 19th century. For instance, the Basque nationalism was born because those who were in favor of a more traditionalist society, a more traditionalist approach, they didn't like the way Spain was going. Spain was going more on a liberal fashion, and they were against it. And this is why they said, okay, we want to break apart with Spain. And with, Catal with Catalonia, it happened something similar. The Catalonian nationalism is the other way around. They were more liberal, and they wanted to break away with Spain when they saw that Spain was going a little bit more on a more conservative fashion. So zooming back, zooming back to fast forward to now, uh, Catalonia declared independence. What happened next? So what happens next? I think uh, no one really knows because, I mean, the problem here is that the on the legal side, the Spanish constitution doesn't recognize this uh, self-determination for any region. So if you want to do it legally, you should change first the constitution or maybe beat around the bush and create a legal and find some legal loophole and it will be complicated. But then from the, uh, from the political side, the problem is that now, today, the Spanish government that we have now is conservative. They will never allow anything to the, to the Catalonians because they will lose votes. I mean, actually, for Mariano Rajoy, what he's doing now, trying to, 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 to be the strong man on the, on the country and put an iron fist on Catalonia, it's really good for him, elections-wise. And the same goes to the Catalonian government. The more they play the, the role of a rebel who wants to fight against the system and fight against Madrid, probably the better for them. So it's also kind of a theater. I think a question a lot of people might have right now, at least in the U.S. perhaps, is why spend so much time talking about a secessionist movement in one part of Spain that you know a lot of folks might be familiar with, might not be familiar with. How, how does this play into the larger picture, right? And the, the thing is, this secessionist movement, the independence movement in Catalonia is not constrained to Catalonia. We are seeing trends all throughout Europe towards decentralization not only between nations within the European Union, but, of course, regions within nations. So Catalonia, perhaps, is the most 
well-known, the most discussed, but there are others. There is Lombardy and Veneto in Italy that just had referendum votes that passed both in the affirmative. I think the constitution that governs regions' interactions with the nation in Italy are somewhat different than they are in Spain. So we haven't seen as much of a sort of a, uh, a violent reaction from the central government. And as I understand it, and I think one way to try to interpret what all of these different independence or autonomous movements mean is by looking at the similarities. And I'll be curious to get your take on this, Fonseca, but as I see it, as I understand it, we see, and you mentioned this, a number of divisions caused by the economic crisis in 08, 08, 09. And this has created a number of disaffected groups of people. And, you know, part of this accounts for the rise of, of Podemos because the Spanish economy was doing so poorly. And these these people who are disaffected are are frustrated because they feel that, you know, whatever solutions are being proposed might fail, and those proposing those solutions aren't really going to suffer to the same degree that they have. And, you know, when shit gets pretty bad, people remember very quickly who's actually in charge. And whether or not someone identifies with the identity of the leadership, I think, plays a fairly big role in this. Uh, so when things are okay, you know, I, I think these these regionalist movements that are not new but that have been, become pronounced by by the crisis and by the financial recession of 08-09, I think people remember very quickly that they're frustrated about these things and they just got kind of shoved under the rug when everything was going okay. Have you have you ever read the Ortega y Gasset? You that I know, Sander, you speak a perfect Spanish, so maybe you know about Ortega y Gasset. If you don't, I strongly recommend you one of his books. It's called La España Invertebrada, the Invertebrated Spain, where he covers on a political philosophy point of view, uh, from a political philosophy perspective, he covers the issue of the nationalism. And he, there are two main ideas in this book that I would like to, to bring here. One is that every nation, every country that we know today has been created, whether by merging two countries that existed in the past or breaking up one country into two or three different entities. When does the breakup happens or when does the, the merge happens? Well, when there is a project that makes people happy and, and motivated. So whenever you have a country that has some principles together and people feel like they are, they are better off together, then you're going to have a merge. That's the case of the United States. You can have a crisis, you can have better times, bad times, uh, but in general, Americans, you feel like you are better off being all together because, well, you have a good country with some good institutions. There is a, there is a, a sense of a project. America is not only a country, it's a project. European Union, well, to some people, it feels like a project. It feels like there is some sense of not only identity, but also that we are better off being Europeans there is some kind of illusion, European illusion. In Spain, it's happening the other way around. People are feeling more and more disappointed with the, the Spanish project because there is no sense of a project. There is a sense of pure decadence. And this is why we're having the separatism. 
and the same happens in Italy. The same happens in every country where people feel like there is no project anymore. So this is why there is nationalism and separatism is not something of today, something that is going to be all the time in every country where there is a sense of disappointment. You have it too in Romania, all the Hungarian-speaking minorities that live in Transylvania and want to separate with uh, with Bucharest. And when you speak to them, you speak to those Hungarian-speaking people, and what they are going to tell you is that they really hate the Romanians, that they don't want to be part of that. They say this is a country that it's breaking apart. It's full of corruption. It's full of poverty. It's never going to be a first world country. We don't want to be part of this. I'll make a quick plug real quick. Fonseca Visual Politic did a show on Transylvania's push for greater autonomy from Romania. So if that's something that interests you, go check it out. So we're actually going to pause there. That will be the end of part one of our conversation with Fonseca. Check back in next time. We'll have the rest. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.